Support Narrative's independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative and check out our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to subscribe and download. Hey everybody, welcome to Narrative Live's special coverage of um, the last debate, the last final debate. Can you believe it's what, how many days now? Are we 10 days away? Is this possible, guys? 12, 12. 12. <laughs> 12. ahead of myself, but uh, every day seems like a lifetime. And what an interesting debate tonight was. Welcome to the show, uh, Sherry Jacobus, who's with us. You're from in South Carolina today. I'm in South Carolina for a few days, yes. Uh, how nice is that? You can give us a, a read it's on what's beautiful. like on the ground with Fulincy Fol- yes. Graham. And uh, Lincoln's Bible is back. How are you, LB? I'm good. I'm so happy to be back. It's great to have you here. We've missed you. Yeah. And Greg Oliar is here as well from New York. How are you doing, Greg? I am, um, you know, that's 90 minutes of my life. I'm not going to get back, but here I am. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I got to say, what a great job Joe Biden did tonight. I mean, I thought he just hit it home in every aspect. And I don't think he, there were many points that uh, Trump got away with, not that there was much that he could have got away with. Let's go around the horn and see how everyone feels. Greg, why don't you take us off? Start us off here. I, I was a little concerned at first. I thought I thought Trump was actually pretty good. I mean, insofar as he can be, he was meaning he was speaking in complete sentences and seemed vaguely coherent at the beginning um, and seemed to remember what people maybe had told him to talk about. And Joe took a little while to get going and wasn't hitting him hard enough initially. And I thought, oh, is this going to be like this all night? But Trump eventually ran out of whatever drug he was on and you know, rambled into incoherent la-la land with the Russia, 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 and this, that, and the other. And Biden got angry. And I like when Joe gets Mm -hmm. righteous. The righteous anger plays really well, I think. I think it's justified. I think it comes across as super authentic and gives him this great gravitas. And he's right about all this stuff. The, The key moment of the entire debate, they were talking about the kids in the cages and Biden said sort of at the end, 525 children are not going to, you know, go. They don't know where their parents are tonight. And Trump said, good. Right. That's it. That's the whole fucking debate right there. Yeah. Certainly one of the key moments. LB. Oh, we're, ca- we're cursing on this. Okay, good. Yeah, we, oh, we, yeah. we, we do. It's like, okay. I've tried to stop it. It doesn't doesn't work. So I just thought, let's go no. with it. <laughs> I'm cool with it. <laughs> LB, um, what, are your, what are your thoughts about tonight? Um... I think the threat of the mics being cut, I, I didn't, you guys, I didn't get a moment where they were. I did have to step away for, for five minutes or so, but um, it didn't seem like that mic thing was getting enforced anyway. But the threat of that um, actually, I think, worked in Trump's favor. He contained himself. You know, we didn't get the, um, the, the insanity, the chaos. Um, is that the lies continued. Um, they just, you know, I think even Daniel Day was saying, this is more lies than he's ever, <laughs> you know, every every time he speaks, Daniel's like, it's more lies than ever before. Um, oh, my drink arrived. Thank you. Oh, yay. Thank um, you. Yay. She has her own personal <laughs> waiter. That's great. <laughs> That's what you do things, Sherry. <laughs> I'm impressed. My very, very silent partner who, who silently brings me a beautiful drink every time. So, um, 
I just, you know, so I think it's important to remember and we get lost in our own bubbles of forgetting what the other bubble wants and needs and feeds off of. Mm -hmm. And he delivered everything that his people want and need yeah. and feed off of. He really did. He Trump did, yeah. yeah. Trump did. Yeah. So the, the debate prep worked for him. He stayed, believe it or not, the message is good. That is him being on message. That is what his people want to hear. They want to hear, you know, these, these children have been separated. They'll never see their parents again. And they want to hear their guy go, good. That's what mm. they want. It's hard for us to conceive that. Mm. That's what they want. And so they got what they want out of, out of this debate. Um, I don't know that it's going to make any damn difference at all. At this point, it's there are not many undecided voters, but, uh, you know, maybe there are one or two that could change their mind. Certainly not towards Trump. It's possible, though. Um, Sherry, what do you think about tonight? Well, the fact of the matter is, you'd really there, it's really kind of hard to win a debate. You can only lose a debate, and that's the only thing that really can affect an election. Uh, debates are difficult. They're... they're um, you, you want to not make any mistakes. And I'm going to reference Joe Biden when he was debating Sarah Palin. Uh, he was very bland. He was very vanilla. His He knew that debate that night was about her. And all he had to do was not make mistakes, not screw up, and to be relatively forgettable. Uh, I thought tonight, uh, because of the, again, as you all noted, that the, the threat of the mics being muted, and, and in fact, were muted, uh, that changed everything for Trump. And he knew that the last debate was a shit show. He knows that people understand that he is the one who basically chickened out of the one after that, where they each had their own town halls. Uh, so he actually did good for Donald Trump tonight. Uh, but we have 48 million Americans who have already voted. And the early voters largely go with Joe Biden. Uh, I don't think there was anything tonight that was huge, except for the fact that uh, you had uh, Donald Trump. Um, you know, we have a black woman as a moderator, and he's basically saying, I'm the least racist person in the room, except for the room is so dark and I can't see anybody. It's just like, moment. keep talking, keep talking. And Jennifer Rubin, uh, the Washington Post uh, columnist, she, she had a great tweet, something along the lines of, of um, just think that this is the last time that we ever have to sit through a Donald Trump debate. And I thought that was like the best tweet ever. Uh, and that was a reminder that, look, whatever happened tonight, I don't think either one of them um, screwed up horribly um, when you grade on a curve. And we do grade on a curve for Trump. What The thing that I'm concerned about is in the post uh, script of this when they start, you know, you know, looking at this and, and and talking about it, that there's going to be some pundits that are going to be tempted to do what they always do, which is grade Donald Trump on a on a curve. And unless he is out there foaming at the mouth and walking around with toilet paper stuck to his shoe, which he has done before, literally, we have we have video of Donald Trump walking around, <laughs> and they tend to say, you know, he just really really worked for him. And so I, my my. The, the overall thought, the overall thought that I had was that um, Joe Biden looked like he was just tired of this, just sick and tired of all of this. Uh, and it's been a long campaign. And when you look like you know, you're going up against someone like Trump, he's just tired of this. And normally that would be a negative, I think, for any candidate to 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 show that type of thing, except for the fact that the rest of us also feel that way. Mm. And Stu Stevens had a great piece in the Bulwark. Uh, I think it was, I saw, I saw it today. I think it came out today. Yeah. That basically expressed that sentiment. It's like, we are so tired of having to worry about and think about 
Donald Trump. I want to be nice. I mean, I don't want to hear from a president again. I, I, I want to hear you. Know, I, I want to get the news. I want to see a statement every now and again. But I don't want to have to get up each day uh, and turn on my computer and look at Twitter and go, oh, God, what the fuck is he says? What is the hell has he said? You know, and, and so tonight's debate, um, I think what it showed, if, if, if Donald Trump, he was actually okay. And if he had been this guy for the past five years, I don't know, maybe he wouldn't have been president because there are some crazies out there that he, I mean, we know he didn't become president legitimately. So he just needed, you know, somebody got to him and said, try and be as normal as possible. I noticed he got a haircut. I noticed the hair was not a, a freaky color. I noticed that while he couldn't help himself, he still had, you know, something on his skin. It wasn't quite as orange. So to the degree that Donald Trump can be toned down, and even when grading on a curve, if you squint, you can say he was somewhat normal. The fact that it was five years ago, almost to the day where we found out that he had this super pack, he was lying about it. I mean, when the crazy stuff started. So if this is what it takes, and, and he's still uh, lied all over the place to the point where we're all as exasperated as Joe Biden, just kind of like, just again, really, you're still doing this? Someone had said, also sent a tweet out that I retweeted of, I feel like Donald Trump gets all of his information from the same websites that give your computer a virus. It's like, <laughs> 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 Dude, both of those come out of the Kremlin, so it's probably not that well, unlikely. And speaking of virus, when you open up, you're basically saying, you know, we could have had two million people die and that hasn't happened yet. It's like, oh, yay. He didn't even say hello or thank you or usually at these things, like, thanks. Oh, it's so great to be here. Whatever. You just went right to two million people should be dead. <laughs> I know, yeah. it's really uh, are, it's an astonishing way to say hello. Yeah. Um, just to pick up on a point you sent there, uh, Sherry, you know, Obama during his terrific speech yesterday, that barn burner of a speech that he did uh, in Pennsylvania, um, he, he referenced that fatigue. He's saying the best thing about that can happen out of this is that we no longer have to wake up every day and what and have to worry and and think and fret about what Donald Trump is doing if he's do? no longer president. <laughs> and so what are we going to do with our lives? But secondly to that is it's true. I mean, he is the, the irritation level and the irritation factor of Donald Trump has gotten to the extent that He's in, it's, just, it's just impossible to take any more. And I think that's probably the sentiment we're seeing around the country as those many early voters. And in Pennsylvania, it's like, I think a million people have already voted in Pennsylvania. Uh, and a vast majority of them are Democrats or voting for, um, for Biden, at least. We're beginning to see that exhaustion really taking hold on people that they're willing to sit through hours and hours in a in a line or stand in hours yeah. and hours in a line to yeah. get to get a vote in, which is which is remarkable. Um, LB, I noticed something that you always talk to me about Donald Trump when you think about his physicality. Uh, he had that voice at the beginning. He had that. I don't know how you described his voice, but every time we speak on the phone, uh, every once in a while after he's had one of these moments, he has this sort of husky like a bad boy voice that he's just been, you know, he's, he's got into trouble and he's, he's getting home and he's got to confess it to his father. That's sort of what it feels like. And it felt at the beginning, that was the voice that he adopted. Yeah, he, he has, he has his tones and um, because he's, he's not connected to um, having accuracy in his information. He's not coming from any part of his brain that is, <laughs> Um, you know, he's, he's always talking from his balls, right? right? And like from his gut. It's like everything is from that part of the brain that's just like, ugh. And right. so he's going to come with that, ugh, right? When he's like, all right, I'll get ready to get in the ring. And so you're going to get that, right? And that, you know, so everything gets delivered for that. And then he'll go into a different tone if it's like, and he always does this with the stuff that he gets called on. Where he goes, well, I don't know anything about that. I don't know. He goes into this really soft voice of like, oh, I don't know. 
I don't know anything about any of that. So I didn't hear that tonight, um, but you did hear his aggressive stuff. He just has sort of his aggressive lever and then his sort of like, ah. Oh, I thought at the beginning he'd sounded a little bit like that uh, scolded uh, boy, but maybe maybe I'm over-reading okay. into it. You might be over-reading. I, I, he is, he, it's like, am I defensive? Am I offensive? What am I going to do here? Let me read the situation, like a shark smelling for blood in the water. Where's the blood? Where's the blood? Where's the blood? Where's my kill? Where's my kill? Where's my kill? Yeah. And everything is that for his brain. Sherry, you, you, you mentioned the note the moment about race. Uh, let's listen to that. We'll take a look at it. Racist person. I can't even see the audience because it's so dark, but I don't care who's in the audience. I'm the least racist person in this room. Okay, Vice President Biden, Abraham. let me ask you very quickly, and then I have a follow-up question for you. Abraham Lincoln here is one of the most racist presidents we've had in modern history. He pours fuel on every single racist fire, every single one. Started off his campaign coming down the escalator saying he's going to get rid of those Mexican rapists. He's banned Muslims because they're Muslims. He has moved around and made everything worse across the board. He says to the, about the poor boys, last time we were on stage here, he said, I told him to stand down and stand ready. Come on. This guy has a dog whistle about as big as a foghorn. President Trump, I'm going to give you 10 seconds to respond, and then I have a follow-up. No, I, he made a reference to Abraham Lincoln. Where did that come in? I mean, you said you're Abraham that, Lincoln. No, no, where did that... No, no. You said, I said not since Abraham Lincoln has anybody done what I've done for the black community. And I'm saying, I didn't say I'm Abraham Lincoln. I said not since Abraham Lincoln has anybody done what I've done for the black community. Now, you have done nothing other than the crime bill, which put oh God. tens of thousands of black men mostly in jail. All right, let me, you know let what? me, let me they ask remember Vice it President because Biden if you look at what's happening with the voting right now, let me ask they Vice remember President that Biden you treated them very, very badly. Pretty badly. Look at what's happening um, out what a there. moment, I thought, for, for, for Biden and a real opportunity for, uh, for Trump to have gotten under that or gotten away from the race accusations, and he just wasn't able to. He just he walked right into that trap. I love that he wanted to say proud boys and said poor boys right. because I don't know if he listened yes. to Credence or something <laughs> right before early in the morning just about supper time okay anyway go ahead well they're gonna try to make that yeah they're gonna try to make that a moment of his uh, you know I actually don't think he was being clever in that moment but nothing's better than to just nail those yeah. those assholes with poor boys you know we're just gonna call them poor boys from now on it actually works really as, well. as opposed to proud boys which is such a cool you know <laughs> alpha straight male seeming thing to call your group. straight male <laughs> it's, it's, so, it's so normal and mainstream yes yes uh, it's, and hot <laughs> right i think it was a, a mistake when he said poor boys instead of proud proud boys um look uh overall joe biden did well i think that he could have hit a lot harder on the race issue yeah. uh, and i think that he should have um, so that was a missed opportunity. Um, and so for someone like me who's done debate prep and debate negotiations, I'm looking at this and I'm, I'm thinking, what were the influences for each of these candidates prior to coming on that stage? Uh, and you're, I'm thinking in terms of the different people doing debate prep. And sometimes when you have more rather than less, you get things that it can get all jumbled. And I, that might even have something to do with Trump and his different voice tones. It's like he's got five different acting coaches. Mm -hmm. uh, to, <laughs> to, he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, he goes in the one voice and then a different tone. Uh, and of course, you know, he never pays attention to anyone. So he's only getting, you know, a few of those notes in his head at the time, which is why you see him trying to adopt these different voice tones. 
symptoms and different personalities, uh, depending on what he remembers that the last person told him. And and I think it's it's a lot more obvious with Trump. But when I, I look at Joe Biden, uh, I do think that this if this was a case where he had a lot of different people telling him a, a number of different things. And so far, we've basically seen their strategy be just let him do his thing. Uh, it seemed as though there were some zingers that he was trying to lob at, at Trump, and those might have just those might have been organic. But overall, it seemed that they were trying to get him to speak um, to a, a higher level audience and stay above the fray. Uh, and I think and I think for Joe Biden, that meant putting out a lot of a lot of information that perhaps he hadn't had enough time to really uh, f figure out how to spit out. And I think that's a function too of in the past debates, you know, Trump was interrupting him and everything. I, I, I love Joe Biden and I think he obviously won the debate. Uh, he certainly didn't lose it, but I think there, I'll be honest, I think there were some missed opportunities. Uh, it's also possible that because he's ahead in the polls uh, and they don't want to make any mistakes or create any new news, uh, had he gone harder, which I think maybe some of us would like him, and maybe that's my visceral emotion, wanting him to hit harder on some things. It's also very possible uh, that they said, look, let's just play it straight, get through this, don't make any mistakes, we're ahead in the polls, and then they're going to have to go in and do some heavy advertising in some of the, the, the uh, yeah. key battleground states that are getting closer. So when you look at what a debate is supposed to do, to the point I made earlier, you don't really, uh, you don't win a debate you can only lose it. And um, so I, I so when I think about again, I'm, I'm kind of thinking out loud here, I would have liked to have seen Joe Biden take some bigger punches at Trump, but then uh, the actual political strategist in me, the one that actually has advised candidates, I'm thinking you might actually want to curb those tendencies if you're ahead in the polls. And you speak directly to I the Americans. It would have been great. I mean, there's ways to do it. There, there are ways to trigger the, the this baboon we're dealing with. Um, <laughs> and, and one of the big triggers is to connect him and label him with the kinds of terms that misogynists use for women. And I'm, I'm just sort of shocked that no one has picked that up. And I, I found out like a one little word, a little birdie told me is, okay, there's one word that that would make him go off the rails. And I got it to somebody way too late for it to get in there in any kind of debate prep. But it's like, if you call him hysterical, he will, in a dismissive way, hmm. he'll lose his shit. Like, or over-emotional. Yes. Or over but that specific word of like, you know. Yeah, hysterical. Saying, you know, oh, you know, he's just being hysterical. Or no matter how hysterical he gets about something doesn't make it true. Doesn't mean it's true just because he's being hysterical about it. He would—he probably would have dropped his pants. Like he just would have freaked out uh, over that word. So, I think there were ways to land punches, like what you're saying, Sherry, by these triggers that were missed as well. That wouldn't have come across. It's like Hillary saying he's a puppet, and that, he lost his shit when she called him a puppet, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't. Uh, there's certain there's certain ways to do that. We didn't get that nuance, but. Um, you know, I, I look, this, I'm sorry, this Leslie Stahl interview is going to blow up. This is all, whatever happened in this debate, is, as you said, Sherry, as long as Biden didn't lose it, there's so mm -hmm. much more to come, even though it's just 12 days, and none of it is good for Trump. Mm 
I didn't get a chance to watch. I had an early screening. Everyone in the Writers Guild get, got an early screening to the Borat movie, and I ended up just watching the debate. So <laughs> we I'll, all got I'll an early watch. screening to some I, parts. I, I know, <laughs> but I, I couldn't do the two screens at once. I was like, oh, my brain, you know, I just, guys, I'm tired. It's been a long time. I couldn't do it. I was going to even like, it was like a dance party. There's a, dan- a board dance party going on right Are you now. Serious? That That's I amazing. Yeah, yeah, and I was like, okay, I could watch that while we're on live with the narrative. We can do it. We can log on, I think, if we can try. Maybe it's too much. Well, work. I can't because it's yeah, a yeah. code, and right. like, I right, can't right. try it. It's, yeah. but, um, it's only for her, Zeb. It's not for us. I'm sorry, we didn't cut it. We didn't know Greg. I don't think that that's going to be good for anybody. No. That when everybody watches that tomorrow, I do have a little heads up about it, regardless of whether I saw it or not. It's, it's not going to be good. And it's available and for free like, on oh. Prime, right? Amazon Prime is playing this for yeah, free for anybody tomorrow. who has. They are all good. Oh, okay. yeah. So you can, if you want to see Borat too and Rudy Giuliani in all his glory, as it were, uh, it's <laughs> he was on Amazon. Tucking in his shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Just tucking in my That's shirt. That's how I tuck in my shirt in front of a fifteen-year-old. I got to do it. I got to go in. Well, and your kid. A fifteen-year-old is there. This is Rudy. So, I, I do. Um, have, I put a. I have to say this about Rudy. I, I and I put this on Twitter. Rudy Giuliani on camera masturbating in front of a fifteen-year-old allegedly, fi- yeah, you know, fifteen-year-old teenager was not on my twenty-twenty bingo card, and it should have been because I just, I'm, yeah, you know, I'm paying attention to everything, so I, I, I'm embarrassed that I was not, you know, on things enough to to know that that should have been on the bingo card because why wouldn't it be? It's always next. I'm never gonna. I gotta watch it. Really, but he might not have been doing it. He might not have been bad, but it's still, he thought that was a 15-year-old girl. Well, how do you land up in a room with a 15-year-old girl from Eastern Europe if you're the president's lawyer? Anyhow, I mean, regardless of what he was doing in there, what are you doing in there? Um, What are you doing? Yeah. We, did, we, didn't, we didn't get to hear the hysterical part tonight, but we did get a point in the early part of the conversation when they spoke about coronavirus, where Biden did call him, uh, he said that he panicked. Let's take a look at that clip. It's quite mm. short uh, what the president knew in January and didn't tell the American people. He was told this was a serious virus that spread in the air, and it was much worse than, much worse than the flu. He went on record and said to one of your colleagues, record it that in fact he knew how dangerous it was, but he didn't want to tell us. He didn't want to tell us because he didn't want us to panic. He didn't want us, Americans don't panic. He panicked, but guess what? In the meantime, we find out in the New York Times the other day that in fact his folks went to Wall Street and said this is a really dangerous thing, and a memo out of that meeting, not from his administration, but from some of the brokers said, sell short. He did panic, of course, and we know that we're all paying the price for it, but he did uh, diverge into this other part of it, which is that there is a, that they went to Wall Street, you know, the Trump administration went to Wall Street and warned Wall Street that this thing was coming, that this thing was going to be a disaster. And at the same time, he was lying to Americans. I mean, that uh, that dichotomy really is what we're looking at, at in this uh, in this election. We're looking at two very, very different audiences for these um, for these two candidates. And you know, this Granton versus Fifth Avenue um, thing keeps coming up because, in fact, that's exactly what this is about. You've got a, a Main Street candidate who's speaking directly to the American people, and then you've got a guy who's so out of touch, who only cares about uh, Wall Street and the Dow Jones, and that's and that's where it ends for him. There was another part later on where Biden was looking at the camera and talking about sitting around the kitchen table. And then Trump went on this weird rant about kitchen tables and how that doesn't mean anything. And it, it just it was so bizarre. Like, does it he just he's standing up over the sink. I don't know. 
what Probably he's never been in a kitchen. <laughs> I think he was trying to say, oh, Joe Biden, you're just doing that thing that politicians do where you're talking about being around the kitchen table. I think that's what he was going for, but it didn't come across that way. It came across as Trump attacking the notion that we should care about families other than the, the Wall Street people. And it was, uh, you know, it, it, just was, it was bizarre, I thought. Speaking of families, the Hunter Biden thing did show up a lot. Um, did it land for anybody? Do you think that landed for anybody in the audience or in fact, anybody in, in, who, who might be uh, on the Not bubble there or willing to, to move across? Yeah. yeah. First of all, who's on the bubble? Think about a person who is on the bubble. If you have been consuming information, if you're somebody who's going to sit down and watch a 90 minute debate on a weeknight and um, but you are so you're, the information you've gotten so far is such that you are unable to, to make it determination about which of these two men you're supposed to vote for for president. I, I mean, it, it, I just, I, I don't think there's, I don't think this debate can move anybody. You know, there's nobody on that bubble. I don't see how there could be anybody on that bubble. And if they are on the bubble, they're not watching a debate. Because the people, type of people that are going to sit and watch a debate and understand it and have just some foundation, some base knowledge uh, of, of what they're talking about, I, I, they would already be informed enough to know who they're going to vote for. So Chris Jansen on MSNBC had a couple of people of three of actually uh, African-American female voters that they were not convinced yet of who they're going to vote for. There are undecided voters, at least or at least softer support, some people say, in the African-American community. I, I haven't seen it necessarily myself because I don't see the polling in that granular detail. But you know, and Trump referenced this tonight in the debate as well, that some African-Americans still hold a bit of a grudge against Biden for for um, you know his history on, on his and his credibility on race, on race issues. Now, it's obviously not as bad as Donald Trump's, but uh, that does seem to be a fact for some people uh, who are these, these three people who are talking on um, television today. I saw the poll numbers for, for, I think it was likely black voters, and it was 5% Trump and 93% Biden. Right. So the 5% is wait, basically like 50 Cent, Ice Cube, and Kanye. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. Jeff Bonnets and Steve Bannon's former clients. Okay, so I think the I think the thing that that I'm concerned what I'm concerned about, and I it's I don't know about the bubbles, I don't know, but there is this hat trick happened in 2016 where that Access Hollywood tape had come out. You had people like Jason Chaffetz and others going, say, I don't know how I can vote for this guy. You have Paul, you know, Paul Ben Sass is trying to do the Paul Ryan thing. He's like doing his own tapes and flood him out there. of like, I'm going to let everybody know that I don't know, I, you know, that whole, mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know if I can vote for this guy. Or he's, but it's the same playbook, right, mm -hmm. that the Republicans play. And then what happens? Mike Pence comes in in the 11th hour and says, come home, Republicans. And he does this sort of, oh nostalgic come home we're republicans it'll be okay so i think what i get worried about is the fact that trump did he, he wasn't a train wreck he wasn't he was all the horrible yeah. things he's always been um but that's baked in and that that there might be republican voters older republican voters especially that We'll hear that sort of come home thing and just be like, okay, well, we just got to vote Republican anyway. I, I I, don't know that that'll move any needles in terms of, of the numbers, the big numbers that we need, but I think just watch for that playbook. I could see the media now doing this in this last week. I could see them doing the whole, 
you know, you'll have Van Jones talking about how Donald Trump, blah, blah, blah. You'll have, you know, all the players that come out and do their thing <laughs> and make it all seem normal. And then Mike Pence will go, oh, come home. And then I think I think that works in Senate races. I think that the Republican Party is now so much the Trump Party that nobody looks at it as well. There's the Republican Party that we come home to, and Trump is just you know a part of that, a temporary part of that. I think that he this is now the whole party Trump. I do think, however, you possibly where I am right now for a few days in South Carolina, uh, you're going to be seeing a little bit of that with Lindsey Graham. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're toying with the idea of voting against him. They don't like him. But I do think that, sadly, in, in the end, it just doesn't matter how many, um, because, you know, the polls have been kind of going back and forth a little bit and kind of been tied. Um, but I think, I, and as much as I hate this, I think there's a real chance that there would be that aspect that you're talking about, the come home to the, you know, stick with Lindsay, come, our safe Republican. And um, you might be seeing that I'm hearing in Iowa with, with Joni Ernst. So um, I think you're going to see that in the state races with the, with some Senate races. I don't think that translates for Trump because he's been so, you know, successful in owning the Republican Party where it's just defined by him. I think it really is a referendum on him. Uh, but then he's got that cult following that senators don't get. Um, so it's almost like you've got two different personalities with the Republican Party out there. I mean, certainly Trump is a drag on a lot of them, but a lot of them is just uh, this, like with Lizzie Graham, he's not the same guy that he was before when he was, you know, John McCain's, you know, Robin to John McCain's Batman or whatever. He's just not the same guy. By the way, I know Lindsey Graham. He's a freshman House member. And uh, I was communications director for the House Education and Workforce Committee after the contract with America. Yeah, Newt Gingrich and all that. My I was uh, and my peers were Ari Fleischer was communications director for Ways and Means. Ed Gillespie was Dick Army. These were my peers. This was my world back then. And Lindsey Graham was a, a House freshman. And so I helped uh, helped him out here and there with some of the, the committee stuff. And he was this happy-go-lucky funny as all get out guy um, and just seemed like just such a great guy such a straight shooter which i think is the impression that we all had of him you know up until trump it got some sort of compromise on him so that dynamic um i think that 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 thing where you come home to republican party i just don't think that works for trump i think it definitely works in some of the senate races though lindsey graham maybe uh he may benefit from that sadly you mentioned uh, earlier on this the Stuart Stevens piece that came out in the Bulwark, which was about you know about the sort of the democratic mindset that the Democrats don't have swagger in the way that the uh, GOP and the Republicans have. And LB, you've spoken about this before, as have you, Greg. Yeah. Um, that there's a you know right Democrats up. are winning by a lot right now, especially the presidency, but maybe not the Senate. Suffer. But why are we why are we suffering? Why is the suffering going on? Why this uh, you know? Is it, a, is it a hangover from Hillary Clinton or is it something else? No, it's how they've always been. I, I'm not, a, I mean, I'm a new Democrat in terms of getting through this, but, you know, it's interesting to be somebody who is not political and sort of just, I'm just going to be an independent because it's all so gross, right? That was my attitude for so long. Um, but, you know, Republicans are always the victims. They always have all the power and play the victims. And Democrats just suffer they just suffer, right? They're just always suffering. Oh, oh. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what, you know, 
it's it's a it's an American thing, I guess. Um, you know, people need to be Democrats for some reason just don't know how to step out and be proud about what they accomplished. To step, wear that fucking flag. Put the flag outside your house. We're Americans. God damn it. Um, you know, they just don't do that. Not because they're anti-American, but because they. I don't know. They get some kind of secondary gain out of the badgering. I, I, I guess you know that they're the they're the sidekick to the bully. Mm-hmm. Always. Well, right? Maybe it comes from being a victim for so long. Maybe that's uh, you know when you you get used to it and you sort of you expect the worst. What was the guy that was on with Hannity when he had the show with the quote unquote with the liberal like back in the day? I think he's no longer with Alan us. Alan like, yeah, yeah, Alan yeah. Holmes. He died a few years. He ago. sort of was like that. He he was he had that personality of being super nice yeah. and but not at all and and right about everything, but not at all menacing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you just saw the two people talking with the sound off, you were just gonna go do what Hannity said because you know look at them, mm-hmm. right? I used so, to be on that show a lot as a Republican. <laughs> whole lot. Like when they first started, starting in 1997. Yes, my first time. On it that was show. all that the stuff. I felt like it was different at that time. Like I used to watch some yeah. of those things. Even like Cross, like Tucker Carlson when he was on Crossfire was fine. At least yeah. in my memory. I used memory. to be on Crossfire with Tucker yeah. Carlson. Yeah, <laughs> he was fine. I didn't. Think, he was kind of like a Alex P. Keaton snotty kind of whatever. He was not you know, as hateful and ugly as, as he's become, at least not that I remember. Uh, th- th- there, there seems like yeah, in right. the last four years, especially there's been a real turn towards the ugly and maybe it's been there all along and I just haven't perceived it. I mean, that's, Laura that's Ingram's possible, always but. been like this though. Laura Ingram's always been like this. Tucker yeah. hasn't, but Laura's always been like this. Only now primetime is ready for her before she was too much for primetime. And yeah. now it's like, she's perfect for it. But she hasn't Sad. changed. <laughs> Sad statement. I guess there's there's something to be said for for that. I, I um before we move on, Zev, could I just mm. point out that yes. um how many times the word coyote was said tonight during the debate by both people, and mo- a, a lot of people have no idea that a coyote is just someone who brings people over the border. Oh. And I think a lot of people were watching the debate imagining an actual coyote bringing babies across the border. <laughs> A lot of lingos. Um, yeah. Thank you for clarifying. I was one of those people. I had no idea. Okay. There uh, you go. No, my, my, my wife didn't know. My, my my kid didn't know. And and people on Twitter were like, coyotes, coyotes, coyotes. When it comes out of Donald Trump's yeah. mouth, you're never sure if it's just making up some crazy yeah. thing or whether. No, he knows what a coyote is because that's, you know, the trafficking. He right, has to yeah. know all about that. And they work. The terms and everything. He's very, <laughs> it's amazing how fluent, for someone as stupid as he is in almost every other area, how fluent he is in the language of trafficking humans. Support Narrative's independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative and check out our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to subscribe and download.